I'm Paul DeGarabedian with my Many Screens Big Picture Podcast. I'm thrilled on today's show to have Eric Tabak. Eric Tabak has a true Hollywood story, a story that started on the East Coast when he was quite young. This gentleman has been in the business for about 30 years on all sides of it, distribution, exhibition. He even started out acting and modeling. So let's talk about that, Eric. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Paul. Great to be here. And thanks for making me feel old. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey, your resume said 30 years, man. That's true. So, Eric, you grew up in New York. And uh, at a very young age, you were interested in uh, acting. And and you have a bit of a claim to fame with the Friendlies ice cream, I believe. Tell us about the early years and growing up on the East Coast. Yeah, sure. Um, Yeah, I was born in a small town called Oyster Bay Cove, Long Island. My parents both worked in Manhattan. I had uh, two brothers and my parents got me into acting and modeling, got me an agent and we waited for the call for auditions. And um, I was very fortunate to pick up a modeling gig uh, for Friendly's Ice Cream, which is a big East Coast franchise of um, uh, like a Denny's on the West Coast, but Friendly's and they had their own branded ice cream. And so I was part of their national campaign. How old were you? At that point? I was about seven or eight. I also did the cover of Family Circle magazine when I was young, promoting s- some clothing brand. And yeah, I really uh, I wanted to get into acting. Uh, it was, you know, something uh, and modeling, and it was something I was really interested in as a young kid. And it just became a big deal for my parents because Long Island is from the city. It's an hour commute on the train, so my parents would get the call and they'd have to come out to uh, get on the train, come out to pick me up and sometimes take me back into the city while they're working to take me to an audition. And then depending on the time of the day, they have to take me back and then then go back to work. And it just became a big deal for them. And so it kind of got shelved for a while until my parents got divorced when I was about probably like 13 ish. And my dad uh, moved into the city Uh, And then finally realized he wanted to live in Los Angeles. And so I decided that, you know, if I was going to do this, uh, L.A. was the place to be. And um, so I made the decision to to move. And that absolutely changed the course of your life. Yeah, I think it's very it's very interesting how you can uh, really pinpoint the pivotal moments in your life and what has taken you to the next your direction. And that was definitely one of them. If I never moved out to L.A., you know, I probably would have been a doctor like my mother had hoped, but um, <laughs> that didn't happen. <laughs> right. Well, and how old were you when you moved to, to California? Yeah. So my dad decided uh, in 1987 that he wanted to move to L.A. And so I finished school. I finished 10th grade uh, in at Oyster Bay High School in Long Island. And my dad and I decided to do a uh, cross-country trip in his little Porsche 944. And we packed up the little car and we drove across country and we moved out here. It was uh, July of 1987 and uh, haven't turned back. So you very quickly, though, found a pretty cool job for a young whippersnapper uh, with AMC. I did. uh, Entertainment, AMC Theaters, as we know it. And that was in, what, September of 87? So you get to L.A. in July and by September, you got a job. Tell us about that first, you know, transitioning from the modeling, acting thing. Now you're older. You need a, a job in L.A. How did that come to pass? Well, let me let me say this. I didn't give up on the acting and modeling. I continued 
down that path. My sister uh, was a makeup artist in the industry and she connected me uh, with some people to help me do some acting lessons as well as get me, you know, representation. But, you know, my dad, though he was able, you know, doing well financially, um, really wanted me to get get a job just for getting out of the house and bring in some extra money and uh, for myself to do things with. And I kind of, you know, dragged my feet and dragged my feet about looking for a job. And he really, it was starting to bother him. And so <laughs> he came home one day and he said, Eric, I got you a job interview. I go, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> and he goes, well, it's this new movie theater that just opened up in Century City. And I, yeah, I talked to the manager and they're hiring. And he said for you to come in tomorrow uh, and interview for a job. And I said, dad, I used to make fun of people that worked in movie theaters. I said, I'm not going to go work in a movie theater wearing a bow tie. And he's like, go to the interview. <laughs> so I went to the interview and uh, it went well and I was hired immediately. And uh, I became a theater usher at the ripe old age of 16, tearing tickets and um, really getting a very starstruck experience of living in Los Angeles and Hollywood because this theater was the place to be. This is where Hollywood came to see their movies, uh, where they screen their movies, and you name it. Celebrities, producers, studio heads were the guests. You're right. I mean, the AMC Century City is a landmark. I mean, just in terms of the a movie theater being such a, a cornerstone and actually built upon what was originally part of the Fox lot and then... Cleopatra, they had to sell off some of that land, which became Century City, AMC Century City, really part of the fabric of, of Hollywood. Yeah. And it actually, it had a hard time in the beginning because of all the booking issues with Westwood um, and trying to get the good product. But uh, finally, you know, eventually that actually got corrected. When I eventually became a theater manager at 19 uh, at that location, we were doing, you know, 10, 11, 12, sometimes 12,000 people a day you know, on the weekends. Wow. And we would have lines from the box office all the way to Santa Monica Boulevard, down where the valet parking picks up. I mean, six or seven windows. It was incredible. And now, you know, because that mall went through such a major renovation, that theater now is the container store. And they relocated the Century 14 to now the Century 15 to the back end of the mall and to a new location. So if those walls could talk, well, they can't talk anymore. And that's probably a good thing. <laughs> uh, probably. <laughs> I'm sure you have some stories. Are there, no are there any you can share with us that are suitable for the podcast? I mean, what stands out to you? You were saying it's where the filmmakers and celebrities or however you want to say it, came to see their movies because that's that was their local theater. And Westwood, of course, everybody knows about Westwood being really an epicenter of movie going with how many theaters within a few block radius right near UCLA. And that had to be really exciting for someone at a young age to be put in charge of, a, you know, or, or be part of such a major film operation. Yeah. And or an I, exhibition yeah. operation. Right. And I, I would say to Westwood, sadly, you know, they were the place to be. I remember in high school cruising Westwood and, you know, and then obviously we know Westwood went through a major transformation with all the, the gang issues they were having. And it, you know, really a lot of businesses left Westwood. It scared a lot of people to go there. And, you know, Century City really took off as the place to see movies. Lots of VIPs came into the theater. You know, I've, uh, I've had many experiences with not only just 
studio uh, executives, but, you know, very fortunate to, you know, shake hands with the Hollywood elite, you know, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, when they were married, uh, were our guests, Bruce and Demi, when they were married, um, I've had many times where Prince's bodyguard would call me and say, you know, Eric Prince wants to come see a movie. I'd have to rope off the whole back row of an auditorium for him. He'd pay for all the seats. And then he'd come, you know, up through the back. Uh, his limo would park in the back of the theater. He'd come up through the back stairs, you know, in his little jumpsuit and a hot girl on, on his arm. And we'd walk him into his theater and he'd see his movie. And, uh, you know, it was great. Um, I remember one time um, I got a call that Michael Jackson wanted to come in. Uh, with some people and you know the way the theater the auditoriums were designed it was a center row up the middle so um, all the seats went from the middle to the wall so I had one situation where Michael Jackson was coming in and I put them into the last row of the auditorium and so no one could actually bother them from behind and then I ended up having to sit on the aisle right next to them you know, <laughs> while they watched the movie. So I was like a couple of seats away from Michael Jackson watching Jurassic Park. And, oh, um, wow. you know, so again, studio executives, producers, filmmakers, you know, everyone. And I'm sure a lot of filmmakers would like to come in and, and kind of sneak in to see a movie with a quote unquote regular audience, not a test screening, not a, you know, but real audiences paying real money and get that vibe of the movie in the theater. Yeah, if I could, uh, I could tell you a story about uh, that, uh, one of those uh, episodes, uh, because yes, yeah, so that was a regular thing for them to come in and get audience reactions and see how people were reacting to the film. So I, I kind of became famous once, uh, and I, I use that word loosely, but I, I guess I was mentioned in Premiere Magazine when Last Action Hero came out. It was the opening Thursday night, and they did a special screening at our theater what happened was the morning management team had accidentally split the auditorium on the computer. So when we thought that the auditorium was sold out, it wasn't sold oh, out. Wow. Uh, but we didn't know that until, you know, three major Sony executives came in to see a reaction and see how many people were in the auditorium. And I'm the manager on duty, walking them into the auditorium, right? Just moments before it's supposed to start. And we all look at each other like, where is everybody? Oh, no. <laughs> so let's just say, as Premier Magazine would say, there was blood on the walls of the theater. Oh, um, boy. I, and I, it was mine. I remember that uh, movie. And, and of course, uh, it was expected to be this big film. And it really, I mean, the critics didn't like it and all that. But you were part of that, Eric. Uh, I think that's really interesting. And then... Is there anything you'd like to add about your experience on the exhibition side? Because we're going to now move on to the, the distribution side of the biz. Uh, you know, the only thing I would say is I fell in love with movies because of my job in, in a movie theater. I believe in the big screen experience. You know, there's a lot of controversy now about, you know, people watching movies at home. But I really believe that, you know, being in the dark in a communal experience with strangers and being captivated by what's on the big screen and the amazing sound, there's no replacement for it. So I strongly support the you know cinema industry and and I've been in it you know in one way or another since I was 16 and I hope to continue for many years uh, to come. And so let's talk about your foray onto the studio or distribution side of the business. I know DreamWorks SKG just really came onto the scene. It was somewhat unheard of because within the studio system, there were these, you know, 
I guess at that time it was five, maybe six major studios, uh, but there were the these monolithic studios. And then this upstart comes along, albeit with uh, some very heavy hitters on that marquee for that company. And tell me how you wound up at DreamWorks. It was December of 1994, I believe. The announcement was made that Spielberg, Katzenberg, and Geffen were forming DreamWorks. Back to Century City, I was managing the theater at the time, and I was fortunate to uh, establish a relationship with one of the founders of DreamWorks uh, over my years uh, being manager. Uh, Even before I became a manager, this person would come into the theater uh, with his wife or, you know, his guests, celebrity guests a lot of times, uh, where we'd have seats roped off for him. And I was at Usher holding the seats until he got there. And then I became a manager. And then I was the one now walking him from the front door into the auditorium to his seats. I want to just say, this is a good lesson for any young people getting into any business. You never know when you're going to make those connections that can further your career down the road. And you, I'm sure you would never imagined that someday you'd be working for this person, for this major company, because all those years before you were helping this person get to their seats, you showed initiative and a, and a great attitude, I'm sure. That must have made an impression on this person. For me, uh, I would say it became a personal relationship and we've kept in touch over the years. When I was a manager, we would exchange holiday gifts. His were a little bit more extravagant than mine, just because (laughs) I'm on a manager's budget, but uh, it was very thoughtful. And then uh, after the company was announced, he and his wife came in uh, one day to see a movie and I was walking into his auditorium and he said, you want to be a theater manager the rest of your life? He goes, well, We'd love to have you on our team. You know, we formed DreamWorks and you know, it's going to take us a little time to get things off the ground, but I'm going to have someone reach out to you. And there was a little communication in between, but believe it or not, almost three years later, I got the call. He kept his word. And I know from people that were in meetings with him before I came on board that my name was mentioned and, and I was I'm very humbled by the whole thing. And it was a, uh, it was a great call to get. I was, uh, on my day off, in uh, I had moved around too from a different to different AMC locations, and I got a call at a theater that I it wasn't even that theater anymore. I was managing the senior manager at the AMC in Woodland Hills, and the, the woman who be, was to become my boss called and said, I, "I was given your name, and I'd love to get you in and talk to you for a little bit." And I was on my way to Portugal for AMC to open a theater for them. When I had this conversation, I said, "I'm um, should I." wait. She goes, no, you have a little time, go to Portugal, enjoy it. And her name is Pat Gonzalez and she's uh, an industry icon. And Pat is a 15 years at at DreamWorks and Paramount. So Uh, well-respected. Yeah. And Um, and she's a close family friend. Yeah. So uh, I got the, I got the call from Pat and uh, I, we met and uh, I went to Portugal. I came back and I called Pat and she said, give your notice. And the rest is history. So I started in February of uh, 1997. And what was your role there? I actually started in the Central Division. And I was in the Central Division for, I would say, uh, at least a year. And then I moved over to the Western Division. And the term exhibitor relations, for those who don't know, it it literally is what it sounds like, right? So you worked on the exhibition side. That certainly had to have been a huge, gave you a huge leg up. For anyone as a theater manager, that would be the next... Uh, especially if you like to market movies and into promoting movies, that would be the next step for you outside of uh, being in a theater is to go work in a studio exhibit relations department because that 
department is responsible for all the marketing that takes place inside the four walls of a movie theater. Everything from trailer placement to in-theater marketing materials to promotions to concession products, you name it. Obviously, that, that exhibition background was a big help to you. And I know that the way we met, you know, full disclosure, in case anyone, Eric and I go back a long ways, but I remember you would always be the guy who came up and there are trade screenings, meaning for the exhibition community and distribution before the movie was released to the general public, there'd be trade screenings of films anywhere between three weeks, sometimes a month or two before the movie was released. And I know you used to run those screenings. How was that? Was that something that would ordinarily be part of somebody's job in exhibitor relations at a studio? Or did you just, because you would essentially run a movie theater, was that something that that you fit into a role that, that you were made for that just happened to be there? Yeah, you know, I don't know exactly how it happened. I just remember taking charge uh, and being the one that always uh, started the screenings. At different studios, it's done by a different person in distribution. Um, it just happened to be me at DreamWorks, and then that, that transferred over to when I was at Paramount as well. And maybe it's my management skills kind of took over and was like, okay, someone's got to do this. Let's get this started. Yeah, you took charge. <laughs> Plus, you were no stranger <laughs> to the movie theater, and you would stand in front of a, a crowd of maybe, I don't know, 100, 200 people at a screening, and then you'd wave your hand for the projectionist to roll the film, and I'll just never forget that. That's really cool. And trade screenings. I mean, there were many, many of those every week from, you know, each studio trying to figure out when to play, when to have their trade screening. So it's not step on the other studios trade screening. So everyone in exhibition could see these movies. So I want to talk, you mentioned Paramount. So how, how did you move from DreamWorks to Paramount? How did that happen? Well, it was 2005, I believe it was, where DreamWorks uh, sold to Viacom it became somewhat of a reverse merger. I think uh, our head of distribution at DreamWorks uh, became the new head of distribution at Paramount. And then with that, his whole team, including myself and, you know, Pat's group moved over to Paramount, which was uh, pretty incredible because DreamWorks was an office building for us. We were in the, the Universal Tower and then we moved to an office in Encino, uh, like a four story office. And then then we moved eventually to the DreamWorks uh, campus in Glendale, which is the most beautiful place in the world. Can I just say, I had the opportunity to visit there and it literally was like a college campus with uh, food. I believe the food was free at lunch. You could just go to the- Breakfast and lunch. Breakfast and lunch. What it actually was designed for the animators, but everyone else got to take advantage of it as well. That was a beautiful campus. Very cool environment. Then to go for someone who loves film and, and who's- had been in the industry a little bit and just to be on the iconic Paramount lot, the, the amount of history that Paramount has is incredible to walk on a, a studio lot with the sound stages and seeing celebrities eating in the commissary and, or walking by you or driving by you in a golf cart. I guess I could say I'm always starstruck, but it was an incredible experience. Yeah, that is a very iconic, I mean, the water tank there that was used for so many movies, and even just the just walking around the, the Bronson Gate, yes, and where all those you know the Paramount logo is that one gate, and you can stand right in front of the archway there, uh, and then the movie theater there, the main one, the big theater where 
I saw Titanic and Forrest Gump in that theater and it's there today. And it's one of the best studio, I wouldn't even call it a screening room. It's literally one of the most beautiful movie theaters ever with the best seats ever. That had to have been really cool to be at that studio. And you were there for, you were at Paramount for how long? Uh, I was there for almost five years. Really, it seems to me that the whole in-theater experience is what you're really all about. Whether you're on the studio side or exhibition, ultimately movies wind up in a theater. Let's talk about, let's fast forward now to today and over the past year or two, what you've been doing in terms of in-theater marketing. What is your specialty there? And how has going from the exhibition side very early in your career, the movie theater side, studio side, how has that made it kind of a perfect background for what you're doing now with, again, in theater, that in theater experience? Well, are we going to forget about my 14 months at the Weinstein Company? Well, if you want to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the only thing I'll say about that experience is it was nice after working for a company like DreamWorks and Paramount to really get that independent film company experience, to have to do things uh, with no budget. And it was definitely an incredible learning experience for me. Um, I have no regrets. And very filmmaker focused, right? I mean, that was the whole thing with those films and the filmmaker, the, the, the real focus on the filmmaker and not so much the, I don't think the bottom line profitability index or profit potential of a film, but more creating uh, filmmaker-focused projects that could be award winners, could give opportunities to independent filmmakers. I think that was kind of uh, baked into the DNA of, of that company, despite all the you know obvious negative things that, that happened. But I think that's really important because you had a major theater chain experience, major studio experience, then more independent, I don't know if you say independent, specialized, more that filmmaker-focused, smaller, budgeted films that are vitally important to the industry, prestige movies. That seems to me to be like the perfect background for anyone in this business. Usually, I've found a lot of people in our business, they've either done exhibition their whole career no, with, with some exceptions, I'm not saying that, but that, or just on the studio side, or just a big studio or a big chain, but you've kind of had all the touchstone, check the boxes, experiences that you need to thrive in this industry for 30 years as you have. I left the studio side probably 2012, and then I made my way onto the vendor side. I went to go work for a friend who owns a maintenance and engineering company for movie theaters. Oh, yes. Yeah, so you've even had that aspect of it too. Yeah, I uh, became his vice president of sales and marketing uh, and rebranded his company and increased his uh, exhibitor footprint. Uh, His main company was janitorial. I helped grow that side of the business, but also bring awareness to all the other stuff that they do, like digital cinema installations and all the receipts that were being done uh, across the country with all the recliners and uh, installing screens and things like that. So I was really able to take my marketing and sales experience to help to grow that business. And then I moved over in t- uh, d- late 2015 to uh, a promotional marketing company called Cinema Scene Marketing. Um, they were known in the industry for doing uh, concession products. 
promotional drink cups and popcorn bags and kids trays, et cetera. Um, they also had an in-lobby digital network with their trailer vision displays, uh, digital menu boards, large-scale video walls. So I was their West Coast guy and took over the studio relations and working to bring revenue to those digital assets on behalf of our exhibitor partners and also working with exhibitors to convert their static non-digital displays to digital. I'm going to put you on the spot though a little bit because, you know, obviously with the pandemic, the the very nature of a communal experience has been, I think, altered forever. So it would seem to me that anyone who has a background in in-theater marketing or like you said, within the four walls of the movie theater, everything that's going on in there in terms of marketing and even concessions, that's all going to change, I think. I, I Again, I hate to put you on the spot. Where do you think the future, do you think it's going to be for the consumer all about the impression of safety and, and security? Or are we going to go back to the time where, you know, I want a large tub of popcorn with butter on it? Or is that forever changed? Is that experience forever changed? You know, I'm not an expert. I only play one on TV, but I will tell you that the movie going experience will eventually get back to, to normal at some point. It won't be this year. Uh, I'm hoping next year it will. Um, I do think that once the capacity limitations have been removed and the theaters are able to start filling their auditoriums as they like, and, you know, obviously we're all safe and vaccines and herd immunity and all the other stuff. I do think that the lobby impression will be important still. Um, I do feel marketing in theaters will be important in lobbies through digital. I do maybe see things changing as it relates to studios creating paper posters and cardboard. And, you know, it may become a really digital world. And we see now there's less people in theaters Studios are spending their money directly with exhibitors and they're spending their money on social media. But I do think that, you know, lobbies are going to need to be filled with promoting movies. And this is going to be a very, I think, humbling experience for both sides to work together and uh, not make it uh, a monetary thing, make it more of how do we bring people back uh, to the cinema and getting butts and seats. That's very well said. And, you know, look, nobody knows what the future holds. Obviously, things are on a good you know, starting to to get better. And we're seeing that. And I think you're right. I think people are going to want to go back. But that first impression when they go into any public space is going to be really important. But beyond that, those in-theater materials, I think, are more important now than ever because there's, I think, a lot of confusion, obviously, with all the release date changes that happen. You could ask the average moviegoer on the street, like, when is this movie coming out? They might be like, I have no idea right now when that movie's coming out. So I think that's going to be really important when people start going back. I think it proves how important it was to have that in-theater marketing. So when people are walking to their auditorium, they're seeing a, a movie, as we call it, a one-sheet or a poster, and they're like, oh, the date's on there. Now it's emblazoned in my mind when that movie's going to come out. That experience has been, I mean, for most people, put on hold. And that's had a big impact. I think that you could see maybe a shift in in theater materials changing and not having actual release dates on it uh, if they're paper. Whereas, and it just says coming soon. That way, if it has to pivot on digital, you could change it and send it right to the theater. So you don't really have to worry about your release date at that point. But if it's in print, do you want to print another 10,000 posters because you moved the release date or cups or 
yeah, no, that's that's a that's a big challenge. You know, if you printed, you know, drink cups for a film and then the movie moves. Yeah, that happened last year with a, at least a few movies in terms of that collateral material and all that stuff. But we're going to wrap up here. I just want to ask Eric, where can we find you? What's next on your journey? It's far from over, my friend. 30 years in the biz. Where do you go from here? I hope it is far from over. Um, I'm currently uh, consulting for a, a small independent studio, I'm looking to pick up uh, more of that. But I'm on LinkedIn and I'm available uh, for work if anybody needs me. <laughs> <laughs> You're just one of the best in the business. And I found out, I love this because I've known you forever, but I found out some things today that I, that I didn't even know about you both personally and professionally. So I really appreciate you being on the Many Screens Big Picture Podcast. Eric Tabak, a true Hollywood story. Thank you, Paul. Thank you.